Hello again, all my wonderful listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast, where we chat about sex, sexuality, and the body. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find lots of podcasts on politics, culture, society, and me with sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack, or you can pop over to Apple and rate and review. It does help keep the word going about the podcast. You can also drop me a DM on Twitter or Instagram at Glow West Podcast. So my guest today is here to talk to us about something that I think quite a lot of the listeners will relate to, and that is that struggle of exploring your desire and kind of exploring what sex actually means to you as a person. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Tracy Clark Flory, who is a senior staff writer at Jezebel. Her work is being published in Cosmopolitan, Elle, Esquire, Mary Claire, Salon, The Guardian, Women's Health and the yearly Best Sex Writing Anthology. Prior to Jezebel, she was a senior staff writer at Salon. She's appeared on 2020, MSB, MSNBC and NPR. So today we're celebrating her brand new book called Want Me, which is all about looking for love, sex and power as a woman in a culture that is freer than ever, yet defined by unprecedented pressures and enduring constraints. It's a first-hand example of one woman who has navigated the mixed messages of sexual expectation, only to discover that the complexity of her own wants and her collective need to change the limitations of that journey. Tracy, thanks, Amel, for joining me today. How are you keeping? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Good, good, good. We're all surviving winter and weird COVID times, but sure, look, we're getting there. Yes, we are getting there. <laughs> yeah. We'll get back into person soon and hopefully you'll have like a belated book launch in person. I hope so. I know it's sad. It's sad to miss out on that aspect of of a book launch. But the upside of it is that I get to have all these events with people from all over the world who who are able to tune in who wouldn't have been able to show up otherwise. So trying to look on the bright side. Yeah, that's such a great thing. And yeah, the joy of Zoom, I suppose, is yeah, it's accessible for a lot of people now. So that's happy days. Yeah, that's true. So let's dive in. I think your book is really important and it's something that I would identify with as well of like that journey of trying to figure out your own sexuality, growing up in a very media saturated world, whether that's, you know, magazines, TV, film, music, porn, all that kind of thing, which all have their own individual messages about sex. And sometimes they contrast and sometimes they they overlap. But it's kind of hard then to figure out what your authentic desire and, and what sex means to you in amongst all of that. And then I suppose if you throw in like really bad sex education as part of that, it, it seems like a really hard mix for people to kind of navigate. So what was your journey like in, you know, that process of creating the book? Like it's autobiographical, basic autobiographical, there we go, <laughs> um, in that in that sense of, you know, you've been through that whole process and you are where you are now. So how, how do you even start making sense of everything? Right. I mean, I don't think that I even, uh, I don't think I even start searching for a, a sense of an authentic sexual self until I was really in my early twenties, probably. I think earlier on, I was just trying to figure out this whole sex thing and trying to get as much sort of Intel as I could And, you know, as a middle schooler, as an adolescent and teenager, I sort of came up against all these contradictory messages, it felt like. Um, 
I grew up in Berkeley, California with a couple hippie parents and they had, they gave me very positive messages around sex. Like they descri- described it as a spiritual experience. Um, you know, it was, it was very sex positive and yet um, overly simplistic. And so I think I got a lot of sort of sex positive feminist messages at home but didn't know how to sort of um, reconcile those messages and those values with what I saw in the world at large that, that presented sex as, um, you know, being much more complex than just that. And um, so that was really where that sort of journey started, where um, I really wasn't focused on my own wants at all. I was really trying to figure out how to be desirable to men, um, how to be good at this sex thing, you know? And so, for years, that was the focus. The focus was not what do I want? The focus was what do other people want from me? And it was really only once I started into my 20s and started having relationships where I started to feel that um, a lot of my sort of sexual encounters were much more, um, they were sort of performative, that it was that it was really, um, that I was trying to create an experience for my partner and that it was very, that I was, not sort of embodied and present um, myself. And that's where that sort of question of authenticity arose, which is a really difficult one to answer because we're all products of our culture. And, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to sort of tease out, um, you know, that sort of core sexual self that's untouched by the outside world. impossible for for many many people and I I didn't even know that this was a concept until I heard the terms performative sex and authentic sexuality and then I was like oh yeah okay that's a thing and I don't think I you know I I probably had about 10 years on you between like me figuring out authentic sex was probably in like my late 30s and I'm 38 now so I'm not that long kind of in that whole process but it's a lot to kind of look at like what do you actually want out of sex and mm-hmm. it's hard to find that you know again you know when I was growing up the the media messages were all about how to please a man because sex was presented in very hetero kind of terms but there was nothing about women's pleasure and then growing up in Ireland sex was deeply stigmatized and like we're just coming out of the control of the catholic church and, and things like that so it was just yeah it was really hard so I suppose you had you had the upside was I was more repressive in my culture and you had parents who were super supportive and and like free love and all that kind of thing which is very different to to Irish culture but I I think both yeah like you said they both have their challenges and and I suppose particular viewpoints of sex that that aren't for everybody right I mean I think the interesting thing about like my particular upbringing was like in so many ways you know I had it good I had parents who were willing to talk about sex and who are very positive about it. I even had access to some sex education in school, which is, you know, a lot better than most, most kids in the United States get. Um, and yet the, both my parents and the sex education I got presented this very simplistic view of sexuality that I think, you know, teenagers are smart. Like they understand that, <laughs> that there is more to the story than what they're being told. And I think for me, the fact that there was something to this story that I wasn't being told like that really sparked my curiosity. And I was like, you know, I'm going to figure out what it is that they're not 
telling me about this thing because at home the message was very wholesome and um, you know very much like framed around sort of monogamous married um, heterosexual sex and um, you know my dad was a sort of outspoken feminist in a sense you know where he'd talk about how a woman's most attractive feature is her brain but then as a young woman I'm watching MTV and seeing that you know they don't use women's brains to sell <laughs> beer or hamburgers you know and so like how to make sense of that like I liked the values that were being presented at home but then there was this other aspect to sexuality that was you know playing out in pop culture that was very um, very different and very arresting. And, um, you know, that, uh, I wanted to sort of puzzle out for myself. It's a hard mix of that. Like you're saying all those media messages. And I think if we throw feminism into the mix as well, it gets even more complex because there's, there's not one feminism, there's feminisms and there's, you know, some feminists who are like this is all performative stuff and you know you shouldn't be wearing short skirts and and you know again it's more about the brain rather than the body and flaunting sex and selling sex in that kind of sense but then others who are like well I can do this it's empowering to me to do this and there's a lot of conflicting messages around you know if both camps are saying oh well our messaging is feminist so you have the person at home going well what one is it like I don't know and I want to be a feminist but where am I kind of going? I think like, what does that play any part in, in your kind of figuring things out? Yes. Yeah. I mean, feminism is like a huge thread in my book because it, um, <laughs> I mean, a, a major point in the book is when as a teenager, I, I, um, I go snooping on my dad's computer and I find his porn subscription and, you know, here's my feminist father who's talking about how a woman's most attractive feature is her brain. And then he's subscribing to perfect10.com. So how do I, how do I reconcile those two things? What does this mean? How do I make sense of that? And so that was really like the start of my sort of journey in terms of, um, as a, you know, as a feminist, um, exploring, you know, my own relationship to porn. How do I feel about porn? You know, do I need to sort of reconcile my feminism and my viewing of pornography? Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, and the sort of like, you know, applying feminist values to the sex that I was having, like, is that something that I want to do? Or do I want to allow myself the sort of space to um, explore fantasy and to kind of like explore the, the dreamscape of sexual fantasy um, that is so often politically incorrect. Like so often our fantasies and our desires um, really seemingly are in contradiction with our political beliefs, right? And that's yeah. part of why they're exciting. Yeah, the element of taboo and the fact that you're doing something you shouldn't have to do or you shouldn't should be doing in society. I think, yeah, that there's a lot in that of, you know, should it like like one of the most common questions about porn and about BDSM is like, oh, well, do you want to, you know, recreate that in real life and then rape fantasies and things like this? And, you know, there are very dark fantasies and all this kind of stuff. But you know, it obviously doesn't mean that you want to do that in real life, but there's something in that exploration of being able to explore that, even if you're able to do it in a safe way in your own sex life or exploring it on screen, it doesn't necessarily 
mean that you're not a feminist but that's been a massive like that's I think feminism is about 40 years into that argument at the moment that you can't be a feminist and like BDSM you can't be a feminist if you don't like xyz and it's that's really hard especially when you're looking at those non-pc kind of fantasies that quite a lot of people would have oh yeah yeah I mean and the thing about fantasies to me are fascinating because like you cannot interpret them literally and there's this um psychoanalyst Michael Bader who has a theory about um that sexual fantasies basically allow us this safety to explore and experience our desire and so I think a lot of times um certainly at least I'll speak for myself as a woman like submissive fantasies are very much tied to um while on the surface they might seem (laughs) it might seem about being dominated um by someone else's wants what it what that kind of scenario kind of allows is for you to have the safety of not worrying that your own wants are too much like um that if you are satisfying a man's like you know i think there's that deep-seated fear that a lot of women have that their desire is unacceptable, that it's too much. And so I think if you're in, um, you know, submissive scenario, you um, are freed up in a way to, to um, channel your own desire to, and to sort of um, get around that, those fears. Yeah. There's a lot of freedom in Mm -hmm. submitting, even though some people might think it's the complete opposite, but Mm -hmm. to to go back to your point there about that feeling of your desire being too much sometimes. And I think that's something that particularly people who are women or socialized as women struggle with a lot because, you know, you also write about sexual expectations and, but there is that thing of women are supposed to be the good girl of, you know, you don't want sex too much or you should have sex in this particular way. And if you stray outside that, you get labeled as a slut or whatever derogatory name, whereas, you know, those who present as male get called studs or celebrated for, for all their notches on their bedposts. So, that's kind of a hard one to explore your desire in when you know you're at risk of like being shunned for this same thing that men are you know have a free time with and that's probably the same from here over to the U.S. and across the world as well. Yeah oh totally yeah there's this um, developmental psychologist Deborah Tolman who has this theory of the dilemma of desire, she calls it, which adolescent girls basically come up against where their sort of bodily feeling, their knowledge of their own desire and sort of sensation, bodily sensation comes up against the, you know, real world sort of threats that are associated with their sexuality. And a lot of young women respond to that dilemma by sort of disconnecting from their own sense of desire, their own bodily sensation. Um, and I think that it's a, a totally socially acceptable route. Um, it's the acceptable route for expressing your desire as a woman is to sort of transform it into um, being desirable to men. So it's, and I, th- I think that happens a lot where the, the, you know, all of that desire, all of that feeling is channeled into being desired. It's channeled into being pleasing to men. And so it's really, and it doesn't just happen in the realm of sex, but it's this 
sort of living through men, gaining access to power, to experience through men. And I think the, the gender aspect is there as well, but I think some of those gender roles and stereotypes are also replicated in queer communities as well of, you know, someone wants sex too much or, you know, there's, there's still, I don't know whether it's internalized shame still kind of going on, but I don't think queer people are immune from that either. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think a lot, a, a lot of that applies. And I think like speaking of the dilemma of desire, you know, I think queer girls um, experience it even more so, right? Because they are, um, their desires are, and the sort of threat associated with their desires are that much greater, right? So absolutely. And then you have those maybe the stereotypes to back up against. I know because like when I was trying to explore my sexuality and going to gay bars and I'm like would have presented as very femme and things like that. And, but I had people going, oh, you're a lipstick lesbian or you're a tourist here. And I was like, no, I just like pretty things. <laughs> and I like pink and, you know, being, being very girly. And that was that's just me. But it was like just dismissed as like, oh, well, and also the 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 dismissal of being bi anyway, the bi erasure of, mm. you know, pick your side and that's it. And it's like, that's not how that works. But it, it's it's hard even, you know, yeah, sexual orientation is one part, but yeah, you're not immune from it. Just uh, like, yeah, with, with the different cultures. And then there's all those different pressures and everyone's judging each other and there's hierarchies and things like that. So it, it's like, how do you how do we start dismantling all that and and building a better society where it's a lot safer to explore desire and we're not judging each other then right yeah i mean i think part of it is talking about it right like part of it is talking about desire i think you know my experience writing about sex um years ago when i was at salon i wrote a, a sex advice column where you know, people would write to me all the time with their questions about sex. And then I also interviewed people a lot about their sex lives. Um, and there was just, I was blown away by the one, the hunger that people have to talk about these things because they're so rarely talked about oftentimes, even with good friends. Um, and to the fear of being abnormal, um, and, you know, it became so clear, like the more you talk to people, the, 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 the clearer it becomes that everyone sort of harbors these fears and um, which is so sad because here we all are thinking that we're abnormal. And if we just talked to each other, maybe we'd have a better sense that we're not, Absolutely. that we're all normal. <laughs> that's, I have a, a sex advice column on that is literally the number one question I get is like, am yeah. I normal? Is it normal to want sex this amount? Is it normal to not have sex this amount? And it's like right. in constant comparison with, with other people. And it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how often your neighbors have sex unless you hear them and it's very noisy and annoying, but it's like, <laughs> it has no impact on your life whatsoever, how often or how frequent other people have sex. But yet we seem to be very obsessed with it. But I think that comes down to like fear and anxiety because we don't have those safe spaces to go, actually, yeah. is this normal? And we only have porn generally, which depicts right. sex, which porn is in real life sex and that's not the point of porn but it's spectacle and fantasy and it's not yeah. representative of what the average person is generally doing but yeah it's like how do you build that safe space for yourself to kind of 
explore that whole am I normal fear and anxiety? How do you build that space? I mean, God, I mean, I think so much of my book is about how long it took me to really get to a place of um, uh, really exploring and really accepting. Like I think, and that's where the sort of performance came in. Like so much of my twenties were about performing um, during sex. And, um, you know, because I think I, 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 I did have a sense that like, I needed to perform that my own sort of, you know, sexual reaction was not sufficient. It wasn't enough. Um, And I mean, it really, it was really only in my late twenties that I began to really feel, and this was as a sex writer. I mean, like, (laughs) this is the thing, like I was writing, um, you know, a sex advice column. I was interviewing like the foremost sex researchers in our world and privately struggling with um, the ways in which I felt like an imposter, you know, like here I am a a quote unquote expert. And yet like my actual (laughs) sexual experience is really sort of falling short of what I think it should be. Um, Which is just to sort of underscore um, how, challenging it can be, even if you're someone who's sort of out there talking about these things and, you know, have access to information and all of that. It is still like on an interpersonal level. Um, <laughs> it's really, so it's really difficult to, to get there. Absolutely. And yeah, cause you're all dealing with our own stuff, you know, our own baggage and our own intergenerational stuff and, and all that kind of thing. So yeah. Did you have a moment where you kind of like was there a clear moment where you were like this needs to stop and I need to actually work on what I actually want to go where I want to go with my desire or was it more a gradual process um there were there were a couple pretty key moments um I would say one of the key moments was I was reporting as a journalist at a, an orgasmic meditation retreat. And, you know, so I found myself in this um, hotel conference room with a bunch of other women, mostly straight women who were of all ages, um, who were trying to learn orgasmic meditation. And um, it all sort of culminated in after, you know, a day long event in orgasmic meditation being um, demonstrated on a woman at the, at the front of the room. And, Um, I'd spent all day listening to women just talking about this desire for something more from sex. Um, And then as orgasmic meditation was demonstrated, there were several women who sort of broke out in tears. They were so moved by this um, sort of demonstration of um, a woman's pleasure and of this sort of centering of a woman's pleasure. And, so orgasmic meditation, especially, you know, um, as associated with one taste in San Francisco has become very controversial. There've been allegations of sort of cult-like behavior, um, and exploitation, um, in that realm. But in that moment, it, it just really powerfully drove home the sort of desperation that a lot of women feel, um, that hunger for something more, um, from sex. And it, so, and that kind of acted as um, the impetus for me to sort of 
at least begin trying to um, stop faking orgasms because I, I was just a dedicated <laughs> faker of orgasms for many years. And that was, that was the point where I just felt like enough, no more. Um, I, 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 this is something that I want to move past. <laughs> And it was a process. (laughs) No more faking. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's so many reasons that why people fake. It's either yes, you know, to end it quickly, or yes, it's just not happening, or for safety reasons of you know, if it's not a safe thing to admit that you know things aren't well or whatever happens to be. But it's ridiculously common. I think. I think. I think pretty much most women have been through that write a passage almost and are maybe still yeah still in it so yeah and especially I think you know again maybe when we, we see or we read about depictions of orgasm being these like very distinct moments and they have to be screaming and you know mm-hmm. and the neighbors hear it and stuff and sometimes they're like tiny little whimpers and that's right. okay but we maybe we don't have the knowledge or education around that so we think oh that wasn't okay maybe I have to like fake it and make up for it because the, the other person might get offended or maybe there's something wrong with me because I didn't come screaming loud and, and everything else so yeah all that education kind of around that as well is yeah is the thing I mean one of the things that I realized when I was doing research around the book was like how um the you know the sort of feminist fight to recognize um women's orgasm women's pleasure um, how in some ways that, that conversation was kind of twisted where it came, like a woman's orgasm came to be a sort of stand in for sexual liberation. And it, and it also became a sort of expectation and a demand. And so it became one more thing that women were expected to perform, um, for like a normal sexual experience. Um, and so, um, you know, that was certainly my sense, which was, you know, (laughs) approaching sex from this place of like, very much like taking pleasure in, in giving pleasure, you know, my desire was in being desired. And then therefore I had to sort of, I felt I had to perform this in order, in order to give my partner a a satisfactory sexual experience. At, At your own expense. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I don't fault anyone for faking orgasms. And I think it's a totally um, normal (laughs) sort of adaptive response given um, the state of things. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) On the flip side of that, I remember reading back in college, um, it was a radical feminist writer and I was just always just struck by like the violence of their writing sometimes when, when they're talking aggressively about like, women as who were the enemy to radical feminism and mm. one was saying if you're a woman and you have an orgasm with a man you're colluding with the enemy and I was like wow like where <laughs> is there a space if you were a hetero woman where is the space for you to have pleasure and have an orgasm in that then like that's that's like talk about a guilt trip <laughs> right right I mean that was like so much my experience in my 20s was like especially at that time in like the mid 2000s, let's say there were like a lot of books coming out in the US that were about sort of like, you know, wagging the finger at young women's sexual behavior, you know, quote unquote, raunch culture and hookup culture. 
And, um, I, and a lot, you know, a lot of that, those critiques were coming from feminists and I felt, um, very attacked. And I felt like those critiques were really, you know, targeting young women as opposed to the, the, um, cultural circumstances that young women found themselves in and that there was just such a profound, um, lack of empathy in, in that sort of analysis. And so like part of what I'm hoping to do with this book is like write the book that I wish I had when I was a 20 something and who is trying to make sense of these things and to sort of um, extend that sense of compassion um, for like the journey that um, young women have to go to have to go through in this culture sexually. I think that the empathy there and, and yeah, guiding others along is, is missing from so much. And it would be so great if, yeah, like we said, having that sex education that we wish we had as, as a normal yeah. everyday part. And because I think what what was really frustrating for me, I suppose, on a personal level is like wanting to explore desire, but having that either be taken advantage of or not having a concept about boundaries not dealing with past traumas so picking like really poor sexual partners as in people who didn't care about my pleasure they just wanted easy access which you know Mm -hmm. that was on that was on the cards but or people who just contributed trauma upon trauma because they're just kind of predatory types and if you're you're trying to explore your desire because as women our desire is massive like we you know we can have pleasure in so many different ways and we're not confined by men sometimes of like you know the one orgasm and they have to rest for a while for a lot and we don't like thankfully have that issue but it's really <laughs> hard to and frustrating to be like oh, okay I'm, I'm ready to explore but it's finding the safe person to explore with that actually is right. on the same level as you and isn't going to judge you or take advantage of you or you know make you feel bad in any way for exploring this so how does what did that look like for you of like trying to find those people who could you know be a healthy part of this journey Mm, right yeah I mean I think I realized in my late 20s how much I'd really like had my armor on um in all of my sexual encounters um and how much I was guarding against my own vulnerability. And I think that like, of course I wasn't having orgasms in those encounters because I, you know, (laughs) didn't feel that I had the space or the safety to, to be vulnerable in that way. And hence the sort of performance and, um, you know, trying to kind of gain a sense of control through like enacting this fantasy of, you know, straight men's desire. Um, And I think it was only through sort of playing that out and having those experiences that I was able to get to a point where I realized that the satisfaction I was getting from being desired was, you know, it was something, it was thrilling, but it was that I wanted so much more. And that um, I think I just got to a point where I felt like there wasn't anything more for me down that sort of path that I wanted to have um, a sex life that was just more incorporated, that incorporated both you know, the thrill of being desired and the thrill of desiring and going after my own, my own desires, that it wasn't one or the other, that it was just this more incorporated sort of experience of sex and sexuality. And I think around that time, I became um, interested in partners who 
um, I could be vulnerable with. I think my attractions changed. I think I started um, going after different partners and, um, you know, that it was around that time that I met my husband and it was only in the context of um, that relationship and then marriage that I was able to um, really feel like I had the safe place to explore. And I hate that as an answer because I hate that like my answer to sort of, you know, sexual um, pleasure was, you know, heterosexual marriage, like this institution that's been used to oppress women, you know, since I, God, like I, and yet that's, that is the reality of what I experienced that I did not feel like I had the safety to explore. And um, until, until then. Yeah. And I I think it is really common like it, again it's it, what well, you named it there like the vulnerability and it, it's exploration but being being vulnerable like being naked around someone telling them hey this is what I really like and maybe if that's a little bit off the beaten track you might be even more vulnerable to people mm-hmm. judging or, or you know telling others about your whatever is going on for you and it just it, it's just it's not fair like it just feels really frustrating to think that like we as humans we don't have enough empathy for each other that it's hard for people to be vulnerable around others and be okay about sex because there's people who will take advantage of that or introduce some kind of violence into the situation and it's just like it's not fair (laughs) that's the only thing for it and I just I would love a society where we could all explore like that in in just lovely healthy ways but hopefully like your work that you're doing and stuff like that helps build build that kind of culture and like do you find that people respond to that vulnerability that you're talking about and in the book and in different ways or it almost feels like a relief to have it talked about and and accessible to, to as a as a resource right right yeah I mean I've been so far because it's not published yeah it's going to come out in a week but so far the early readers that I've had I've been really kind of blown away by um how much people are connecting to it from very different places from having had very different experiences um because I think that um I think that so often people are regardless of of their sexual orientation their sexual interests they are coming up against expectations around sex and, you know, mainstream sort of notions of what is normal. And um, so I think there's a thread there that's just fundamentally very relatable, which is that um, we all feel sort of um, constrained by those sexual expectations. And Um, And I also think that we all feel sort of constrained in the sense that we're not supposed to talk about these things. They're taboo, they're shameful. And so I think that, um, you know, my experience thus far has been that people who've read the book um, and who have sort of read me putting it all out there feel um, freed a little bit to share some of themselves with me. And like my hope is that that extends beyond me, that they feel a little bit more emboldened to kind of um, speak those things out loud in their life as well. Yeah, and I think 
they will I think people like you said there is that hunger out there and and you know I'll, sometimes people are you know back when I did events in public and um, there'd always be somebody waiting at the end to talk because it's like someone has sensed that this is a safe space to talk yeah. and they've respected the fact that you know we've had an open honest conversation about sex for an hour and they feel like oh, I need to talk but there is that there's a, such a hunger out there and I just wish there was more spaces for people to explore and and they don't have to be sexualized spaces it's not you know not a swingers club uh, but if that's your thing like whatever that's happy days but I I think calm spaces I think that's the feedback from this podcast is people have respected the calm calm nature that you can have these conversations and not screaming headlines of you know sensationalism and stuff and from the sense of your book it's it's that calmness approach is there and I think like you know, do you think people respond to that calmness as a good way to kind of deal with that shame? Because shame can be very churning inside you and very unstable and, and kind of, you know, just make you feel all sorts of things. But the calmness is like the antidote to that a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I've experienced my sort of fair share of just in anticipation of the book being out there, right? Like it's one thing to sit there at your laptop and write this stuff out. And then it's another to sort of realize like, oh God, people are going to really read this. Um, And, you know, so I, um, it, it doesn't just sort of magically disappear. Like it's, it is sort of ever present. And I think like for me, I've just tried to lean into the shame and sort of like, look at it. Like what, what's, what's the fear? Like, what am, what am, what am I afraid of happening? Like, what if, what happens if I just sit with that feeling um, instead of trying to push it away? It's um, I mean, we all live in this society. And so um, I think shame is just going to be an inevitable part of the experience around sex. And so the question is just sort of how do you meet that shame? What do you do with it? Yeah. And, and yeah, so universal. And it's almost nice to hear, look, we're all in the same boat. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not something that's desperately personal. Sometimes it, it is a societal thing of, of that. Yeah. Do you get like particular questions like that come up the most when people you're talking to people about the kind of work that you do or the, that they've read, how honest you are in, in your experiences around sex? Mm. Yeah. I mean, often it's mostly what I feel I experience is people wanting to share themselves. Like, you know, it's even more so than wanting to sort of um, ask me any questions. It's wanting to sort of like, it's that opening. It's that feeling of this is a safe space. So when you said that, like that, that resonates so much because I think that is huge. It's huge for someone to feel like, Oh, I can actually, I can, you know, speak, my truth. I can speak of my experience with this person or in this space um, because it's just, it's so unusual. I think even, you know, in ostensible safe spaces, like, you know, with therapists and such, like often people, oftentimes people don't even feel safe enough to, to do that in those um, scenarios. So um, it's really so much of it is about like people want, they're afraid of being seen in this realm and, and they also want so much to to be seen. They want the sort of release and relief of like letting those things go. I think it's so powerful. And and if you're in a room with a therapist, like there's work to be done, you know, you're there for your one hour, you're paying them quite a lot of money and you're hoping for some sort of 
result at the end but if you're just there to say hey here's my stuff you know to, to you at an event or whatever it happens to be there's no pressure on that there's no they're not expecting you to say okay that's 60 euro now thanks and you right. know like make a fortune out of it but it, it's nice like you said just being seen and just being heard as like oh I had the power to speak about this today is it's revolutionary and it's such a small thing but it's also such a huge thing at the same mm-hmm. time to get the I suppose the courage to talk about your desire and I think talking about it in public like you do is also like it's really brave but it's also this really weird thing of like it just needs to be said sometimes right you know? I think that's that's why I'm doing it like because I it is still scary to me and I think I think the thing that that <laughs> pushes me forward despite the fear and despite the shame is that just that core belief that it's actually really important to sort of um, to do it, to, to set an example of doing it, to, to, to do it and survive and to have people witness that it's possible <laughs> to sort of put it out there and to be okay. And um, yeah, I, I, but it is, it's, it is still scary. There's no escaping that. Yeah. It's like, it's not something like you thought about growing up as a kid to be like, hi, I'm going to talk yeah. about orgasms on TV or right. whatever. Well, that'd yeah. be an unusual childhood, I suppose, if you did. But <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, how, do, how do you get that? You know, it was weird for me when I was starting out, I was going, oh my God, I'm going to talk about sex, you know, on TV or in a podcast or whatever. And now it's like, it's, you know it's totally normal it's weird that how normal it is but mm-hmm. that's a whole process in itself to be first of all to name your desire to yourself but then to talk about it in public and, and you know and, and to write about it as well it like that is terrifying mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I mean I, I think for me there was a little bit of a like ripping off the band-aid effect where you know early on I sort of writing about these things online and, you know, those things live forever. And so, you know, my Googleable name, you know, is just like lives there on Google forevermore, presumably with these articles that I wrote in my early twenties. And there, I think I got a certain sense of permission from that. Like, well, I might as well keep going, you know, I'm not good. Why stop now? Um, there, there is something really freeing about it. And I do feel something really freeing in putting this book out where it's, it's like, yeah, it's all out there. Like I'm letting, I'm letting it go. Do you ever have people trying to, I suppose, again, from a different kind of repression, like any kind of backlash to your work or you shouldn't be writing about this. And like we know at the rise of the far right again, that Mm -hmm. they're they're not happy campers about women and they're not happy campers about women talking about sex, especially in public (laughs) and um, all sorts of weird and wonderful things. But do you have any interactions with those kind of folks? Yeah, I mean, luckily I haven't had any kind of really nasty interactions in a while, but I definitely a few years ago, um, you know, was sort of (laughs) targeted um, by some um, like men's rights bloggers and pickup artist blogs and stuff um, who liked to sort of like analyze my personal choices and try to like align them with their, you know, personal philosophies around women and anti-feminism. Um, so I definitely have experienced some of that, you know, most, most of which is, um, I mean, it's so over the top that 
in a sense, it's kind of easy to laugh at. Then again, like we've also seen that, um, you know, MRAs and PUAs can actually be rather dangerous. And so it's at the same time, it's not funny at all. But um, yeah, I mean, I think um, the experience of writing online and having anonymous mentors just rail against you and call you every horrible name imaginable. Um, I think it's, it is similarly, it feels a little bit like a permission slip and that it's just like, once you've experienced that and you've survived it, um, you know, it feels maybe not so scary anymore. But they don't have power over you then. Yeah. You know, cause yeah. they, they can't, shame you for your sex right. life because you've embraced it and you're going well I'm writing about it so therefore I'm yeah. a little bit comfortable about this so yeah so you're I suppose yeah it's taking power back and proclaiming mm -hmm. it which is so much all about desire again so it all links kind of back in together and stuff so yeah it's a, definitely an experience where um I suppose kind of to finish up you know for those who are maybe becoming aware of you know their actual desires and that again like that authentic sexuality but they're just not quite ready to kind of explore it because it, again it's a lot of unpacking to do it's it's an exhausting process at some times what advice would you give to those who are just about ready to kind of start exploring their desire on their own terms mm-hmm I mean, I would say a couple of things. One is that like the one thing I wish I'd understood better when I was in my early 20s was that, um, you know, I was, you know, I sort of set out with this um, aim of sexual empowerment. You know, I, I sort of came of age with shouts of girl power and, you know, you can be anything a man can be. Um, and this like narrative around breaking the glass ceiling in the bedroom and the boardroom. Um, and I think there, there's this lie of sexual empowerment, which is that sexual empowerment is something that we do as individuals. Um, as opposed to what sexual empowerment used to mean, which was that it was a collective struggle for collective gain, right? And so I think it's really important to hold that like young women especially are um, in their sort of pursuit of sexual satisfaction, sexual empowerment are, um, it's, it's an uphill battle and that, um, you know, <laughs> there are, cultural limitations um, that are very real and that, you know, oftentimes I sort of came up against um, the dissatisfaction in sex life and it felt like, oh, this is a problem with me. This is something I need to fix as opposed to this is a, a societal problem. Um, and so I think it's really important to sort of just hold that, to understand the backdrop. And that said, I don't think that we should just like, you know, <laughs> give up on sex until the revolution comes. But I think it's just important to like, as one engages with your own desire and your own pleasure and, and that sort of exploration to hold that backdrop because that backdrop is very real. Um, and then beyond that, I think for me, one of the most powerful things was um, to explore my desire outside of the context of a partnered interaction, right? Um, so masturbation, <laughs> you it's know, the like, to everything. 
It's just pretty simple. I think it's like you, I, I think there's only so far that you will get with a partner if you haven't sort of done that exploration and that work on your own. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like you can't communicate to a partner if you don't know what you like and haven't yeah. explored that way. So yeah, absolutely fascinating advice. And I think, yeah, like you said earlier, the empathy and extending that to ourselves and recognizing it's a lot of work for one person to try and do. Like we said, you've got culture, you've got bad sex education, family, religion, all those kind of things just mm-hmm. twirling around the place. So, um, but I'm glad that your book is in the world to help like a little <laughs> kind of map and inspire people there. Um, where can people find the book if they want to grab a copy? You can go on Amazon, you can go on Bookshop, um, you can call up your favorite local indie bookseller and um it's also available in audiobook form i narrated it which is very fun so um yeah it's yeah go buy it please (laughs) (laughs) no but like all your other work and stuff people can check you know check you out if they don't if they're not sure they can check out all your writing beforehand and i'm sure from that they'll go okay this woman knows what she's talking about (laughs) and then yeah and you can you can go to my website tracyclarkflory.com and that will give you links to all my writing and to the buying the book um so yeah brilliant and do you have a, a twitter or instagram as well yes my twitter is Tracy Clark Flory. oh that's nice and easy happy days nice and easy yes <laughs> brilliant <laughs> listen thank you so much for today I think it's just lovely to have that exploration I suppose of the the complexities of desire and kind of working our way slowly towards authentic desire and and recognizing the difficulties of that for a lot of people so I really appreciate that and looking at the empathy that's there for everyone so I yeah no thanks Samil for your time today yeah thanks so much for having me this has been really fun thank you um yeah everyone I'd definitely encourage you to grab the book so it's called want me and it'll be out by the time you're listening to this podcast um so you can drop Tracy line as as well if you want to follow up on more um if you need to um get in touch with me it's dm me at twitter and instagram at glow west podcast and like we said at the top of this the podcast if you want to support us it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise and thank you for listening and i will see you next week <laughs>